you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 12. New Testament book of Mark, chapter 12. This morning we will be in verses 1 to 12. As you're turning there, let me thank you on behalf of my family for your prayers, your support, your flexibility. We're all kind of in a funk right now in more ways than one, so I'm, I'm asking for a little bit more prayers and patience and flexibility this morning as I try to share God's Word with you. Uh, we're thankful to be back home trying to get our feet under us. I'm thankful for Dr. Kirk Baker. Uh, last minute phone call, agreed to come and share God's Word with us last Sunday. I pray that was a blessing uh, for you. It was a blessing to me and my wife to not have to worry about that. And we are just thankful for the association and our partnership to be able to do things like that. Uh, I don't have much to share with you this morning except uh, who our God is. And so this morning as we look at a parable, we're going to look at the God of the parable, the God of the vineyard. With all that in mind, let's read Verses 1 to 12, this is the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck, them, struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. I was doing some spring cleaning and ran into a directory 
from this church from somewhere in between 1969 and 1972. I know this because the pastor at the time was Reverend Dell Boone, and that is when he was the pastor at First Baptist Church of Carl Junction. In this directory, there are some wonderful pictures that you can look at if you'd like to see 1969 to 1972 and reminisce or wonder. But there's a letter here that I'd like to share a portion of. Dear friends, Reverend Boone writes, the church of Jesus Christ is confronted with its greatest challenge in our lifetime and many people think since its very beginning. Our society is being shaken to its very foundation by death, drugs, despair, the devil, and disillusionment. To many, the situation seems hopeless and the church inadequate. In the midst of the revolutionary times, our church can and must and will rise to the challenge. What would people in 2022 think about that? Some of us think of those times as the glory days. We want to get back to those revolutionary times where we think it was all golden. In one sense, the church has always felt this way. You get past the era of Vietnam and to my childhood, the Cold War and the cultural wars that have just continued decade after decade. I heard sermons that said much the same thing in the 80s and the 90s. And if you find the right TV channel you can, or the right podcast, you can hear this message today. We do live in crazy times, revolutionary times, uncertain times. But our God is the same. If anybody could say they lived in revolutionary times, it wasn't the hippies or the people today. It would be the people in the temple in Jesus' day. We're still in this same conversation that we were in on Easter Sunday where God's son is going into combat with the priest of God's people in the temple of God, in the city of God. We are three days away from the Messiah dying on the cross and the curtain of the temple splitting in two and an earthquake happening and graves opening up and A couple days later from a man rising from the grave, literally splitting history in half. And people have to wonder, 
the question that Jesus asked in the parable, what will the owner do? In the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this revolution, what is God going to do? Friends, if you take anything away in this convoluted message this morning, I want you to rest in who God is. In the midst of uncertainty, or I should say what seems to be uncertainty, you need to remember the God of the vineyard, the God who never changes. Since Jesus asked the question, what will the owner do? I think the main point is all about who God is and what he's going to do. So I'm going to offer you very quickly, I promise, seven truths about the Lord. Who he is as we look at this parable. First, God is the owner who expects fruit. Look at verse 2. When the season came, the owner sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, as we've been walking through the book of Mark, this should send us back to chapter 11, where Jesus, in a metaphor and an object lesson, comes to the fig tree, and what is he doing? He's expecting some fruit. Because he's giving you an object lesson of the fact that he's going to go to the temple. And what's he going to do? Look for some fruit. But even in in his day, people should have bells ringing in their head because of a parable that the prophet Isaiah gave. Look at Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7. Isaiah writes, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Isaiah and Jesus are saying the same thing in their parables, that God is looking for some fruit, as James calls it, a harvest of righteousness. This is what God is doing. It's what he's doing today. The second truth we see about the Lord in this parable is he is the landlord who deserves some respect. He is the landlord who deserves respect. Look back at verse 1 in the parable. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. If nothing else, this shows us God's right to expect some fruit. He is the planter of his people. He is the investor. This tower, the the fence, all of the details here, are really pointing to the the fact of of the gifts that God has given his people, the, the, the investment he has made to provide for Israel, to protect Israel. Everything good, James tells us, comes from the Lord. Every good gift comes from the owner 
of the vineyard. And he has decided to lease it, to share the opportunity to benefit from all of his provision. Therefore, he deserves some respect. The third thing we see about the Lord is he is the patient father who sends his servants. The patient father who sends his servant. Let's look at verses 2 to 5 again. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully, and he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. In a parable that makes sense, the story should end at verse 3. As soon as the owner sends one servant to collect and they beat him, the owner should show up and kick everyone out. Right? If a landlord shows up to an apartment to collect some rent or send someone to do that for him, and the tenants in the apartment kick his tail, that's it, right? They call on the cops. Game over. It should end in verse 3, but God is patient, and he continues to give second chances even after some of them are killed. Now, what's, what's Jesus talking about here? the Old Testament prophets. Every single one of the prophets were rejected. None of their messages were received. They were beaten. They were thrown into wells. They were killed. And specifically, you connect it with the argument at the end of chapter 11. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, the man who preached repentance and ended up with his head chopped off because he called the king to repentance. Friends, this is who the Lord is. It's good news. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Just think about it. All the stuff that's happened since 1969 to 1972, you would think at some point it would be game over. That enough's enough. But God is not slow. He's patient, who continues to send his servants. The fourth truth we see about who God is is he is the victim of our rejection. God is the direct victim of our sin and rebellion. Look at verses 6 to 8. The owner still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son, my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. 
And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. As James Edwards writes, the son goes as the father's representative with the father's authority to the father's property to claim the father's due. So what is it saying when they reject the father's son? Friends, he, the tenants may have persecuted and beat and killed the servants. They may have killed the son, but their actions were a direct attack against the man who owned the vineyard. Against the man who had invested in the vineyard. Friends, let me just connect it to you and to me. Our sin is not first and foremost against one another. Husband, your sin is not first and foremost against your wife. Kids, your sin isn't first and foremost against your parents when you disobey. As David confessed when he had cheated on his wife with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah in Psalm 51, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Friends, our sin is so serious because it is a direct rejection against God. Fifth thing we see about God, fifth truth we learn about God in this parable is he is the warrior who will win. Look at verse 9. This is the question. What will the owner do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Jesus is preaching in the temple a message of judgment. And he's saying, God, yes, he is patient. Yes, he has shown patience throughout the Old Testament and throughout all the rejection of the prophets. And yes, he is patient, but he will not be patient forever. His mercy is more, but his patience does come to an end. Exodus 15, verse 3, Moses writes, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Here's what Jesus is saying. Three days before the cross, he's saying appearances can be misleading. When the son dies, it may look like the owner of the vineyard loses. When I go to the cross, and the sun goes black, it may look like I failed. But what looks like defeat is my victory. What looks like a loss on the Lord's scorecard never is. Now hold on to that for a minute because I have two more truths to show you. The sixth truth we see about the Lord is he is the gracious host who invites new people. You got to catch this at the end of verse 9. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. It's like real estate right now. It's going to sell. The owner can find new tenants, no problem. Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish scribes, 
God's not stuck. And if you get kicked out, he's going to invite some new people. And he will have new tenants, and he will get his reward. This is the gospel opening to the Gentiles. Do you see it tucked away right here? Every single person in this room is at the end of verse 9. It wasn't our garden. It still really isn't. But we weren't even allowed to rent. And now, by the grace of God, by the grace of the host, we have been invited in. Not because we earned the farm, but because the farmer, the, the vineyard owner, was pleased to welcome us in. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And last but not least, before we tie some things together, the seventh truth about God we see in this parable is he is the author of it all. The unsurprised author of it all. The intentional author of it all. Look at verses 10 to 11. Jesus asking them, have you not read this scripture? Now, just take a second real quick. He's talking to the Jewish teachers, the Sanhedrin who gave their life to reading the Old Testament. So he is throwing some major shade when he says, have you not read this scripture? And he quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, if you're really sticking with me, maybe you've, you've connected the dots here. The psalm he's quoting, Psalm 118, is the Hosanna psalm. From Sunday, Palm Sunday, as he enters in on a donkey, and everybody's singing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, praise God, save us now. The salvation song, the blessing song, the praise song, Jesus quotes it because it is the rejection song. And those two things go hand in hand. Our salvation happens through rejection. The song where God's people sing, save us, is God's promise that his son will be rejected by us. And as he's using Psalm 118, it's a way to show you that this is God's plan all along. It's, it's, God, it's Jesus setting the stage on Tuesday of the week that what happens on Friday isn't an accident. That even the rejection of him was a part of the plan. That none of this catches God off guard. That the uncertainty, catch me, the uncertainty of the day was certain hundreds of years ago. There's no question mark when God writes. He always knows. And he's never scared and he's never surprised. As Psalm 118 verse 23 says, 
this is the Lord's doing. Watch me, God says. And it is marvelous in our eyes. When God sent his prophets and they were rejected, he was not surprised. When God sent his son and he found no fruit in the temple, he was not surprised. And when Jesus was rejected and killed by his own, he was not surprised. As Jonah declares in the middle of the fish in chapter 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. The most important thing you can do, brothers and sisters, is read this parable and understand who God is. He's the owner of it all. He's the one who deserves honor and respect. He's the one who wants some fruit. He's the one who's provided everything. He is the one who will win. He is, he is the one who is patient. All of these things are true. But I need to ask you a question. As we've looked at the Lord so far, have you seen yourself in this parable? Do you know where you fit in? There's three places that you and I can be. And we need to see each one in order. First, we are the ones who rejected the Son. It's not just the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the temple. We are the ones who looked at the Son and said, Come, let us kill him. And ironically, it is in that that God made us heirs. Friends, every single one of us has rejected our creator, God. Every single one of us has rejected the owner, the one who had the, the worthiness, the, the, the deserving of respect, the one who gave us everything, sent us his servants, sent us his words, sent us everything in our lives, to be rejected. Romans 3 verse 18, Paul tells us there is no fear of God before our eyes. That is who we are without the Lord. But in the midst of our rejection, God was patient. God was gracious. While we were sinners, Christ sent his, God sent his son to die for us. He sent his one beloved son. I want you to see a word in here that you might have skipped in Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 6. You need to see this. He had still one other son, a beloved son. You look him? Finally. Friends, this is a message that you need to hear. Jesus is not just another attempt from the Father to get the fruit he deserves. He is the final one sent by God. There is no other hope that comes after Jesus. If you re reject Jesus, you are done. There is no further prophets coming. There is no further hope coming. There's no second religion coming. Jesus is the final opportunity for you and me to receive or to reject. 
Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Paul quotes the same verse in Psalm 118. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, that's the gospel today. And whether you know it or not, God has brought you here to send you his son. And you have the opportunity to receive what he did for you three days later on the cross when he died for your sins and he rose from the grave on that Sunday to forgive you, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve and to offer us a life eternal with the God of the vineyard. And if you believe in him and you rest in him and trust in him, you will not be put to shame. But if you reject him, What will the owner do? He is the warrior who will win. So before God, allow me to call you to give him the honor he deserves. The second place that you and I can see ourselves, I've already mentioned in this parable, is the others. I believe 100% of us in this room would fit in this category the others who have been given the opportunity to belong to the vineyard. After the Jews, God has opened the door to the Gentiles. And as God shows up at the temple and expects some fruit, friends, we need to know when he comes to us, he expects more. We have been given more than the Sanhedrin ever had. We have a one-time sacrifice that is fully paying our penalty for sin, that has given us redemption. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that allows us to become more and more like Christ. We have the fully finished word of God to reveal who the God of the vineyard is. We have the church, the kingdom. We have everything. And so we must ask when the Lord looks at his people, at the new temple, at the others in the garden, in the vineyard. What will he do? Paul, in in the book of Romans, tells us, the Gentiles, that we should not expect some kind of different treatment than the Jews have. That we shouldn't look at them in the rejection of Jesus and shake our heads and, and look down on them but we should take it as an object lesson for how God will handle us. And so as Gentiles, receivers of the grace and welcomed into the vineyard, we need to hear Paul's word. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 to 22, talking about the Jews, says they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Here's what he's saying about the God of the vineyard. He doesn't change. His approach doesn't change. He still expects fruit. 
if he shut the temple down. He sent his apostles. He sent his prophets. He sent his evangelists. He sent pastors. He sent the Holy Spirit. Invites us to his grace. What will the owner do if we reject his word now? David Garland writes, and I quote in full because it is so helpful. If one asks what fruit God requires from us today, the answer comes from what immediately precedes and follows the parable in Mark chapter 12. You can look before and after to see where he's coming from in this. God requires that our place of worship be a house of prayer for all nations. God requires our community to be a forgiving one. We are to render to God what belongs to God. We are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, God expects the vineyard. God expects his people to be an accepting, prayerful, forgiving, devoted, loving fellowship built around his son. The one stone that binds everything together. And when it becomes something other than that, it courts God's judgment. Friend, look at the God of the vineyard and know he is right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that mercy is what's supposed to carry us as we see ourselves one more time in the parable. Have you seen it? You and I are the next servant that's sent by the owner. We are the ones sent out. And what happens to every single servant in the parable? Listen, God sent his prophet to be rejected. God sent his son to be killed. Do we expect God to send us and get better treatment? We think the world's just going to welcome us because all of a sudden it, 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 they're going to respond different. Jesus tried to prepare us for this. John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Friends, if we think that all of a sudden the world's going to change its mind about the church and the servants of the God of the vineyard, we're crazy. And if that scares us, brothers and sisters, the most important thing we can do is to remember the God of the vineyard. John 16, verse 33, listen to how Jesus talks. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Not anxiety, not fear, not discouragement. God's telling us these things to have peace because he's the author of it all and none of it is surprising. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
And if you stick with me, I just want to give you one more thing to take home. I hope it is helpful for you, encourages you. I think it's a word we need to hear. You remember one of the things we're supposed to see when we read this parable is that God is the warrior who will win. But sometimes his wins look like losses. Can you just hear that for a minute? Sometimes God's wins look like losses. But we grade God on some earthly scorecard where the wins are supposed to be obvious. It's because we don't believe in the God of the vineyard. We believe in the world. How many times does it look like God's losing? How many times are you tempted to watch the news? How many times are you supposed to look at the world and see Death, drugs, despair, the devil, and disillusionment, and think God's losing. How many times are you tempted to look at the demographics in America and the number of people who go to church on Sunday and think God is losing? We don't believe in the God of the vineyard. Our scorecards are backwards. God's wins look like losses. And we're not the first to struggle with this. The psalmist, one of the most beautiful psalms, I'm going to have to preach it one day. Psalm 73, I'm going to give you the highlights. Verse 3, the psalmist is honest enough to say, I was envious, I was jealous of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was tired of losing. I was tired of getting beat up like one of God's servants. I was tired of being rejected, and I looked at my neighbor, and I saw how rich they were and how great they had it and how popular they were and the ease they had in their life, and I wished I was them. Ever have one of those days? What happened to the psalmist? What changed his mind? Verse 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, the temple, and then I discerned their end. Watch this. Psalmist is honest. I was having mental health problems. I was struggling. I didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't want to get up in the morning. I just wanted to be a pagan. I just wanted to make some money. I just wanted to have some fun. But then I thought, and you know what changed me? I went to church. And God spoke to me. And the word came over me, and I understood. Not just what was going on right now, but I knew the end. I knew the God of the end. And watch how it changes the psalmist by the end of the song. Verse 27 to 28. For behold, those who are far from you, the ones I'm jealous of, shall perish. You put an end, the warrior puts an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your 
works. Listen, in the midst of uncertainty, you are not allowed to hide in your basement. You are a servant sent to be rejected. And some they will beat and some they will kill. But if you believe in God of the vineyard, he will be your refuge. And he will be good to you and he will be near to you. And your losses will be wins. And what look like losses will be wins. Brothers and sisters, believe in the God of the vineyard. Let us pray.